Hey guys, welcome to Live Booleans. I'm John. I've hijacked the show this episode because we have a special episode today. Um, this is usually Alex Ferrabetter and Costa's show. Don't um, even attempt the last name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll write it in the description and you can try it yourself. <laughs> try it at home. Uh, but this is a special episode because today we have Christopher Larkin on, uh, who you would know as the composer of much music uh, from games such as Hollow Knight, uh, Hollow Knight Silksong, Pac-Man 256, Outfolded, Tohu, Hacknet, and various other things. I also know Chris has done uh, films and things like that. I've, you hear whispers about Chris Larkin around the Adelaide scene. <laughs> so, uh, But I just wanted to open the uh, episode just by saying, hey, Chris, welcome to the show. <laughs> and uh, Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, awesome. How's it going? It's going well, thank you. Um, let's... Let's start off. Can you give us a snapshot? We, we can take this in all sorts of ways, but can you give us a snapshot? What is going on in Christopher Larkin's world right now? What are you working on? Ooh. Oh, um, well, I just finished working on a game called Tohu, which has uh, been out for a little while now. Um, and I've uh, transitioned pretty much uh, full time onto two games. One is not yet announced uh, and another one, uh, has been announced in that Silk Song. So, um, yeah, just focusing on, on that for the very moment. Um, worked on a couple short indie films late last year, um, and that's pretty much it for now. Yeah. Ah, oh, very cool. Very cool. Well, <laughs> no, that's cool. Um, another question I had, actually. Um, all right. We, we can look at Hollow Knight, um, and I was uh, listening to some of the Tohu soundtrack before, uh, and I actually did see your video on YouTube, Chris, uh, where you kind of did a bit of a breakdown on the Tohu soundtrack. Uh, and it's very clear that you kind of, you enjoy a classical approach and classical instrumentation and stuff like that. Um, but you also very much enjoy electronic uh, sounds, instruments. Um, you showed off your modular synth there, a couple other things. Um, I was wondering, this may not be a good question, but would you categorize yourself more as a classical composer, more as an electronic musician? Or do you think that's a question that we shouldn't even be asking? Um, I think uh, it's it sort of all combines into one, I think. The stuff I'm doing with electronic electronics, I should say, like the synths and um, the effects that I'm applying on things, I'm trying to give it a voice in the same way that I might do when I'm composing a, a melody for a flute or a violin or something so i kind of try to think about the the voice itself and then like instrumentation follows um uh yeah so like sometimes it's a case of like uh it might come up uh, actually oftentimes it comes uh, starts on the keyboard or the piano since i'm a like primarily trained as a pianist to an extent um then that uh, might lead into synths or it might lead into more organic you know acoustic instruments um hopefully it all kind of blends together actually the blending part's the challenge because uh you know you're you're triggering sound with either voltage or air blowing through you know um chambers or, or rosin on strings and whatnot so it's uh different uh sound worlds but um, I like experimenting with combining all these different things. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you, do you find um, that 
helps kind of give music i mean you can talk about your own music but other music as well do you think finding those kind of fusions between that the organic and the electronic is a good way to create a more iconic sound to kind of separate it from the pack a bit hopefully i think maybe that's maybe an unconscious decision to try to come up with something unique by combining stuff that otherwise wouldn't be combined um uh i think i just try to reach for stuff that has an interesting emotion or, or um feeling i suppose um yeah yeah so it's all in service of the emotion at the end of the day yeah i think so or the the um the world building which is a big thing in video games it's um trying to embellish with the the, the art and the experience and mechanics what? all that sort so of if stuff. you said uh, you uh you're trained on the piano are you tra- um is there any other instruments that you play Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm just just keyboard. Except I play, can play a really basic drum beat, or like I can find a major on a guitar, but then it takes me half an hour to get to a different chord. You know that sort yeah, of. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so have you have you have you tried starting from the guitar? Like you said, you always start from the piano. Have you ever tried from the or the drums or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like I've I've got a um an old nylon that my brother used to use and he's given it to me that still has a string missing. But, uh, sometimes I'll just grab that and put a mic to it and play around with harmonics or something. Yeah. I like this guitar harmonics are fun. So yeah. Right. Um, and any of you guys play the guitar? Yeah. Yeah. I got one, uh, it's out of frame. I got, I've just moved into this place. I've only got one here and it's an apartment. So I can't actually, I got a Vox amp that I can't plug it into, but, um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Oh, so, so you can't plug it in because it because it's an apartment. Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't read the bylaws, but I'm pretty sure I can't <laughs> you to plug it in. It's not just you don't have a guitar lid; you've just got the Vox amp for show. Yeah, I mean it's true, and it's it's hidden by the bed and covered in um, Christmas lights, but <laughs> it's down there. Um, but no, because I, I just asked because. Um, Oh, actually, you know what? These guys were joking that I was going to bring up Springsteen. And you know what? I will. I will. (laughs) Add Springsteen to the count for this episode. Sorry, a Springsteen documentary. uh, He's talking about Born to Run. And he says the same, all of that was written on the piano. And he's primarily a guitar player. But he said that whole album couldn't have come out if he had um, picked up the guitar and composed it on that. Like the the structure of the chords, like the transition from a G to a C on a piano was way different than a guitar. Yeah, I think it's um, a really like great instrument for learning harmony, and um, uh, I wouldn't have the same understanding of composition. I think that I, if I had a different instrument, it would have been different. Like, it's not not necessarily the best, you know, instrument to use all the time. But um, yeah, no, I think it's a really cool, cool place to start with. But it's interesting because I, I, I guess I tried to, I, I learnt notation and tried to use that as primarily like the way to compose. So I was in like just cheap music. And then um, I found transitioning from that into MIDI tracking uh, a way that opened up more, a bit more modulatory possibilities. I'm starting to get into music terms now, but like moving from one key signature to another, like C major to, to I don't know, um, uh, F sharp major or something crazy like that. Just the, the ability to move places when you're not thinking about if something is a B flat or a G sharp, I'm getting into really music no, terms no, here, John. That's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Well, we'll have all sorts well, of people listening to this. Actually, so. And if, if they s- like what you're saying, they'll Google it after. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I can summarize it by simply saying transitioning from 
composing at a piano with paper and pen to the computer with basically bars and lines. Um, so combining, so bars and lines approach is often used for electronic music and the paper pen approach traditionally has been used for classical, but I'm trying to make classical with the bars and lines stuff. Mm. And I find there's, there's an interesting approach to, uh, changing chords and sounds and, um, compositions through doing it that way that you otherwise, that I personally otherwise wouldn't have if I was still trying to do it, um, on, uh, yeah, paper. Yeah, look, I totally get that. Uh, when I do stuff, um, I find I can generally create more complex chords and interesting chords and harmonies and things like that when I'm going straight into the MIDI, kind of straight onto the computer. Um, but then I guess the con for me is on piano, you can get you know more of those dynamics, uh, different velocities on the notes, so a lot yeah. more of the loud and quiet and a bit more of that feeling. Um, sometimes I can get rhythms that I don't know how to put into the computer yet, just that feel good. I don't know if you found that same kind of thing, Chris. Yeah, there's um, to some extent, writing something down quickly on paper, uh, it can be faster depending on how you do it, but also um, uh, phrasing can be more. It's like writing a script. Um, when you write some dots on the page, those are the notes, and then you have this thing over the the melody, or, or a portion of the melody, which is called the phrase or the slur, and that sort of implies a breath, if you're singing it in a way, or if you if you're playing a wind instrument, that's all in one breath. And often there's a bit of a like um, sound starts softer and gets louder during the melody, and then tapers off and gets quieter. Not all the time, but like you can basically represent in the classical style of notation and writing down quickly where the melody is and what the breath is. I like to think of things in breaths. Mm. Um, whereas on MIDI, you have note on, mm. sudden, note off, sudden. Mm. <laughs> it's all very like staggered and you don't get the sense of phrase by looking at a piano roll. Sorry, a piano roll is like the MIDI thing in a, in a software. Yep. You don't get a sense of phrasing by looking at, at that. And maybe through what you were describing, John, with like playing around on on instruments, um, yeah. Sometimes it's a bit more classical. It's a bit more. You're not thinking about how fast this should be when the computer plays it. You're just like mm. experimenting. And um, some people find just the traditional approach of notations better for that, capturing that. I guess. Well, um, that reminds me of um, a term I heard called uh, audiation. I've heard it called, which is. Oh yeah. Um, to correct me if I'm wrong with this, but what I read is it's essentially like imagination is for images, audiation is for audio. Mm. So it's essentially oh, okay. creating the sound in your head or writing the music in your head, whatever it is. And it's something that um, apparently can help a lot with the songwriting process, uh, but it's something that very much needs to be practiced, possibly partly because it's not something we're really taught <laughs> so much um i was just wondering whether you call it that or not um is that something you do at all uh so if it's the process of trying to hear it or just imagine it yep. first yep. then yes i do but um sometimes it doesn't happen and then you just gotta bash stuff yep. until it sort of so so you would say <laughs> stuff at the wall so you would say that is like your first preference is to imagine it first and then if that doesn't work, then you mess around until it sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Cool. Actually, question for both of you, Chris and then uh, uh, John. Speaking of this audiation, um, I imagine you guys have had similar experiences where <clears throat> you're like, this, is, this sounds amazing what I got in my head. And then you, the, the paranoia kicks in that, oh, no, this is something else. And then you're like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. And then it does turn out to be something else. Like, one, have you experienced that? Two, how do you avoid that? And three, can you avoid that? No, it always comes out. <laughs> it's always it's always the most perfect in your head. Yep. And then you go through the logistics of trying to realize it. And then you kind of have to change plans. almost. But you have to be okay with changing plans and like consider it sort of like surfing. You wait for a wave and then you, you can imagine taking that in a certain way to the beach. So this is getting really um, hypothetical now. But um, you, you always have to sort of adjust how you're balancing your board as you're riding that wave to the shore i guess or it might you may not even catch it you have to wait for the next one mm. um so you mean it comes more it's going to be different to every person composer who thinks of that track uh oh if, 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 so you're talking about like how it's perceived maybe yeah i guess like um like you know like i guess the process of you know thinking up a tune or something like that and composing it like I, I once thought I was a musical genius until I realized I just ripped off "I've Got a Feeling" by the Beatles. <laughs> oh, sorry. we all rip off the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to interject. It's all right, Alex, because um, who's uh, uh, not John Lennon? Uh, the other main guy, Paul McCartney. Paul, McCartney. Paul McCartney. He had that exact same experience when he was writing Eleanor Rigby. Yeah. He, he woke up, sat down to uh, write it, and then he goes, is this another song? Yeah. <laughs> I reckon I'm ripping it off. So it's right. It just gets passed down the chain. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you guys have both experienced something similar and it's just a, a, a cross to bear with the whole composing? I, I think so. Like the whole process of ha having an image or image, audio image in your head and then um, trying to uh, unpack that with the process of either composing or designing sound and um i don't know and then, uh, i don't know about you chris um i find i can generally conjure like a decent image of a sound in my head until i play the wrong note or something like that and then it completely vanishes <laughs> in my head <laughs> so, yeah that that can happen I, yeah. i'm still to this day trying to find a way to kind of get it down <laughs> onto paper or whatever before i manage yep. to screw it up <laughs> talking about process what's your do you find that working on like video games or working on indie films or working on other projects, they like it changes the process or is there a different process there or is it the same sort of thing as just more back and forth maybe with different people? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, with film, especially I find I'm more regularly hitting the record button and just improvising to picture because dialogue is so prominent and everything you do has to be in support of the script and also the flow of the scenes and what the characters are feeling um unless of course there's a scene where there's like no dialogue or anything like that and that's it's a very musical sort of moment um and but to get the flow of the story right you you can just follow the scene and follow what they're saying but you really need the director uh to kind of unpack what their intent is in between the lines of the script and all that sort of stuff and how they're structuring the overall story. So definitely relying on the collaboration for realizing the, I guess the sound and the, um, we don't, we do that 
on games as well, definitely. Um, and uh, but the difference is that you don't sort of walk into a scene and it's a canned sequence of events exactly, unless I guess some games do that, especially some um, moments in maybe uh, adventure games or games that aren't as interactive in in the sense of walking around a world. But in most of the time, having to make things loop. Yep. allows for the music to be more about world building mm. um and uh trying to yeah i guess maybe encourage the player yeah. to feel a certain way but as as a more of a you know static thing until something may may happen and then we switch tracks or we build, build on another layer of music or so something. is that like the designer yeah. saying this is the intended like experience or this is what the feeling that they're trying to get out of the game and building the world? yeah yep Cool. What stage is the player at at this point after they've done twenty minutes of that previous area? How are we switching there? So is it is it is um, it kind of like you know movies? You might have big pieces, but then you've got in in games things might change so quickly that you almost have to like be able to blend the two together and change things and almost write little pieces that kind of yeah work in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's like. Music's really attached to place, so a player could run through it in 20 seconds or they might spend 20 minutes there. It's really hard to know, so you have to make the music interesting enough for um, the variable amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, Does it help you to pick up the game, like while it's getting made, that you get a copy of the game so you can experience yep. it? Yeah, I try to play, play all the, the games that I work on as much as possible. Um, and like, what what stage do you get them at? Is it like really rough, you know, black and white? Uh, yeah, it's at all, all all sorts of uh, different stages. Um, uh, I remember playing a game that didn't have any color in it yet. It was just um, two characters running around, and I think um, everything was just gray. So it was uh, a bit of an interesting process. But gradually, things you know, as as things get more and more developed, um, you get a better sense of. Uh, you know, the worlds it's, yeah. it's very it's actually very similar to working on um uh previs i haven't actually had as many games like this but sometimes you have to just you get the script and you might get like an animated storyboard or something just to init- initialize some ideas or what have you um is that a tough process because you've got almost it's before you can visualize it so maybe the script is telling you what it might look like and say the director is telling you what it might look like but you might think of it in a different way to to how those other people are thinking yeah about. you do and often like things might need to be changed dramatically later on as as like the visuals get more polished yeah. so um but i think there could be opportunity for I'm just thinking just composers in general to like really get involved early on in process of both games of film, you know, when they're coming together to kind of be musically proactive Mm. and suggest ideas that kind of a bit more of an experiment and that they may not come up later if, if, uh, you know, um, in other situations. So speak. Um, Speaking of uh, getting early involved in a process, I want to play a little exercise with you. That's cool. I have come up with four different scenarios, right? And I want to know okay. what what comes to your head when, like, these are four different game types. That what what kind of instruments, what kind of uh, motifs, what kind of anything kind of pops up when I say these things? All right, on the spot, on the okay. spot, on the spot. Don't end if you can't think of anything. That's cool. But I'm gonna okay. Scenario one. 
You're playing as a chubby cartoon cat working in a fast-paced bakery. <laughs> um, woodwind uh, quartet, lots of short, boppy, happy notes, um, pizzicato strings, marimba, um, and, a, and a jazz drum kit for the busy sort of yes. New York vibe yeah. or <laughs> something. Yeah, uh, I was also thinking marimba and jazz drums. Yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome. What was that cartoon when we were kids? It was like a, there was like a, a worm that used to drive an apple and there was a, a monkey with a lot of watches on his hand. What? I don't remember I, what it was. I can picture the worm in the apple, the apple car, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I can picture it. I have no idea what it was called. Like was this a 2D, 2D animation? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like storybook oh, I animation, I think. Yeah, but that's kind of what I was thinking that. All right, second one. A roguelike zombie apocalypse set in a jumping castle. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Um, dubstep. Ooh. Uh, cowbells with... Um, Balloons, <laughs> <laughs> like just popping balloons, balloons popping or, or yeah. no, like 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 stretching oh, right. sounds. And, oh yeah, and that too, that too, because it's dubstep, Dub, right? So that's I love the, it, the oh, that's the drop, it's yeah. the webs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I didn't think about the bounces. All right, the third one: a, f- a food van racing game to find the best car park spot. Benny Hills. <laughs> <laughs> Is that in the public domain yet? <laughs> Surely. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we'll look it um, up. If it is, we'll make the game after the episode. Let's go. All right. However <laughs> <laughs> it goes. Last one. A castle made of jelly and all the inhabitants are marshmallow people. So I guess it'd be similar to the jumping castle, but there's not that pressure. Yeah. No, I think it's, I think it's more soft, mm. like something ambient, something stretched out. Um, Oh, that's a tricky... That's the hardest one so far, Ooh. I reckon. Um. Sorry, can I just point something out, Alex? Uh. So these were a, a cat working in a bakery, yep. a food van racing, yep. a castle made of jelly, and then zombies. In a jumping They're castle. all about eating, man. Yeah. Are you hungry right now? <laughs> I did just have my spaghetti and hot dogs. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about that. Just... All right, Chris, ha- how about this? Uh, well, what meal did you have, Alex? Was it spaghetti? Uh, sp- yeah. Well, what what instrumentation would you do for Alex's spaghetti meal while he's eating it with cut up hot dogs? Ah, <laughs> uh, I always think of spaghetti as a really you know romantic meal, so it's sort of like a you know I don't Italian kind of dramatic violin solo mm. or something. Um, Look, romantic Italian. You just described hot dogs. Alex. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? Yeah. With with hot dogs. Yeah, with hot dogs. Yeah. yeah, my my meal. It was eaten on Valentine's Day, but was not romantic. Let's just say that. <laughs> Well, thank you for indulging me in those in those four scenarios. I, I oh, that was fun. It was tri- it was like I, tough. I <laughs> really want to now see that jumping castle zombie apocalypse with dubstep. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be fun. That's we need to make that. But the du- no no serum allowed. It's all uh, <laughs> all f- like balloon noise. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be awesome. Oh my god. I I mean, does that? I don't know how much you can say, but I mean, do you, have you had much experience with um, having to? Uh, go for interviews or tests or anything like that to get some of these jobs where they quick fire questions like Alex has just done? <laughs> um, I suppose to an extent, um, I was doing a lot of um, ads, so doing some a- advertising industry stuff um, for a while before getting more into games. And um, 
I've had memories of being in a room with a bunch of creatives at the agency and they describe the concept and the brief of what they're doing and their target audience and all that sort of stuff and you're kind of put on the spot to pitch an idea so that maybe that process is is a bit it's a bit like that Mm. or um uh or in other cases and this happened with hollow knight i sent uh I made I just made a couple of demos uh, inspired by their Kickstarter campaign and um uh and got in touch with them that way and um led to more chats so but um the process that Alex just put me under I don't think I've ever experienced <laughs> that before so it was quite fun cool, we like to keep it hot yeah, on uh, but it's a good way to um I think that's actually really good and maybe it should be a process for uh, game developers hiring composers um, yeah, like you uncovered something. just do every type of game that isn't yours, <laughs> and then put yours at the end and see what they. Yeah, come up yeah, with. yeah, yeah, like a game jam, like an audio game jam. <laughs> yeah, on the spot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess you've uh, you just let the cat out of the bag, and we got to kind of talk about it. Uh, I said that in a bad way. I don't mean that bad way. I mean that in a. I feel empathetic. So I imagine you've talked about this so much, but you're gonna talk about it one more time. Um, <laughs> Hollow Knight. How? So you you, you just briefly mentioned that. Uh, you got in contact with them right after their Kickstarter. So uh, did you know Ari and the guys beforehand or? I did, which also helped, I think. I worked on uh, a film with Makoto Koji and uh, two, sh- uh, these are short films, uh, two short films with Ari Gibson. Um, uh, both of them amazing artists. Um, and uh, yeah, um, so I guess there, there was that experience as well. Um uh, but yeah, Hollow Knight. It's uh, become pretty big for especially been. What was your kind of process like collaboratively working with them? You, you talked about like the process generally, but was it anything different with them, or how did you kind of work with with the team? Um, how was the process? I suppose the process is we got together, we um, had a look at the game, they showed me some of the stuff they were doing in editor, um, they gave me an early build. We looked at um, the layout of the world because so much of the music is based on different locations um, and the location kind of determines, I guess to some extent, the track list or something. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was just sort of a, a case of catching up, talking what the plans are um i'll send through sketches what worked well for everyone what didn't what needed to be changed um a lot of that discussion happened through um either catching up in person so going to their office in the city or uh chatting over slack um and we all live in the same city but so much happens over slack these days so uh and recently with obviously the, the pandemic and whatnot we're really embracing the the remote working kind of um, chatting, instant messaging services and whatnot. So, yeah. Speaking um, of, I don't know whether you've ever had this issue, Chris, but now that everything's remote, you send demos to people. Um, I realize they listen to it on their phones. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Yeah. <laughs> and so they go, they don't hear all the bass <laughs> or whatever yep. that you put in. I had that so, experience recently. Did you? Um, I sent a track that had lots of upper frequencies oh, this wasn't with yep. hollow knight it was with another project and um a lot of uh, ride symbol and like a yep. lot of 
energetic stuff was happening in the treble in the in the in what a laptop can safely reproduce but it was actually quite a slow track <laughs> and <clears throat> and uh, all that all that slow stuff was in the bass frequencies that a laptop can't reproduce so they mistakenly thought the track was like upbeat <laughs> and i was like no you gotta listen to it on on something else but anyway um yeah, that's always the struggle isn't it i mean sometimes uh it's actually worth that experience depending on what your platform is you're aiming for because uh, i know when i've worked on games that i know are potentially going on switch for example mm. i mean switch speakers aren't terrible but it's still yeah you compare it yeah. to a phone kind of thing <laughs> it, it, we, um, it's it, we, more just the real harsh sounds i have to watch out for because they just get amplified yeah so. yep we test the hollow night stuff on uh tv uh on a tv speaker in um in team cherry's office when we do playthroughs and it's quite uh, painful for me <laughs> i guess to listen to it but they um i mean it it makes sense we got to make it work for headphone experience but also the those tinier speakers because mm. that's what switch is using as well so so with um yeah. with with hollow night did you so you said uh reach out through the so were they looking for a musician and a sound designer at the stage or at that stage or were you just like i really want to be a part of this and applied for it uh yeah they were looking well <clears throat> they were getting submissions too because of the uh kickstarter i think that was bringing in some attention to the project um yeah. yeah i'm glad they yeah <laughs> and, and and did you did you have like much experience with that like Victorian Gothic style, like was that the style originally? Like that kind of, uh, you know, the harpsichord kind of, you know, instrument. Yeah, um, I actually went down that road a bit more strongly than what ended up in the game. It started off um, a lot, maybe a bit harsher, and I, I was sort of like referencing Scriabin and some other like more obscure uh, romantic works that maybe. It wasn't as nice to listen to, um, and uh, we kind of shifted away from that into. I think it's. I I really like experimenting with stuff that um, that is a bit more challenging sometimes. But I think you can't push your audience away straight off the bat. Once you introduce a new project or idea or film or game or whatever, you have to draw them in gradually. Um. Because uh, otherwise, if you can't sort of initiate a relationship with an audience, you're not going to have them for the full, yeah. you know, full process. So, um, so that's like almost yeah. looking at the at the entire soundtrack as like a linear thing. Of this is the first track that they they kind of go into. Um, I actually had a question around like the different tracks. Is is it tough to kind of maintain consistency? Like, or is it like, is there a process for that of kind of, you know, each track has its own, uh, well, even in, in Hollow Knight, you know, each kind of level or area has its own like musical theme and, and visual theme. How do you maintain consistency across them, but also obviously have them different, you know, to match the visuals? Um, I think uh, having similar sounds or instruments that you keep reaching for. Um, in my case, a soft piano sound I use throughout is pretty much the same uh, sample piano. Um, I used uh, a viola who was performed later by Tim Chill, 
who pl- played on a lot of the the tracks oh, um awesome. and a lot of other sounds uh uh amelia played on city of tears but she's only on that uh track sung she's not played um played the voice <laughs> yeah played the vocal cords. uh but uh, i think it's just about figuring out the palette because the palette also changes as in the yeah. visual palette changes per scene and area of the game so to an extent the musical ones uh do as well but you have the some constants it's, it's a sort of like there's overlaps with some do you ever go through and like change throughout. the palette and then have to redo like the you know the, the audio palette of like say certain instruments and then have to kind of go through and redo it y- yes <laughs> yes that definitely happens in development um yeah but it's for the better i yeah. think it's all about trying to um bring together the visuals and the music um yeah i'm curious um something you mentioned before is about how the soundtrack to hollow knight started off maybe a bit harsher and then kind of became maybe a bit more accessible if you want to use that word but um if if people wanted to find perhaps your more experimental stuff or or the stuff where you're this is chris larkin going full chris larkin (laughs) where should they look um it's still in the works i think still in the works uh there's some there's some stuff that yeah there's stuff in the works nice that i i currently don't have a lot of more challenging um material like released kind of commercially that i can no that's can, all right uh, can share just yet yeah, build, um, build the hype because people will get in on question. hollow night people will get in on tohu and then gradually they work their way up to the acquired taste stuff that's <laughs> thrash metal or whatever it is you're hiding from us <laughs> <laughs> we'll see yeah. soon yeah awesome what does it do for you when like when that get when the game blew up like obviously you had you know experience before but when that game blew up um as a you know as an artist did it make you feel vulnerable like were you super worried like you know costa and i were sharing tracks today and um you know you you, you see yeah, they're uploaded by channels that you know clearly aren't team cherry or something like that so you know for a, at a minimum other people are listening to it and those videos are getting like three hundred thousand views and stuff like that what does that do to you as an artist? Does it, yeah, does it make you feel like a turtle on your back, or you embrace it, or? Uh, uh, <clears throat> I think with when a game gets released, something like Hollow Knight, and it gets really famous, there's always going to be some, um, you know, uh, bootlegging, but also just people just listening to it constantly, even legitimately. Like it's just a lot of attention. So I think what you're touching on is um, related to, I guess, the feeling of holy crap everyone's listening to my stuff mm. you know um and yeah it does make me feel a bit vulnerable that my stuff's out there and people are doing stuff to it but ultimately um i have to learn to let go that was that was a, a project that i wrote um you know we're approaching you know the five year mark mm. um and uh and yeah so that that's uh that's that's a part of it i suppose learning how to deal with um that vulnerability yeah and i mean i guess same for the everyone else in the team they they wouldn't have anticipated such a you know such a success that it was um not saying it doesn't deserve it you know definitely does deserve it but you know it's it's used now as like the um like the example in um especially in you know local Mm. in the local scene of you know adelaide can do it and, and stuff like that but 
like that that pedestal kind of feeling um but where there's vulnerability there's also inspiration and spurring on for us to do the next thing so we got a lot of positive energy uh from the release and that and um uh we're we're still riding off that and we're we're really excited to bring the next thing so um it is cool. It's one thing I saw on the Tohu trailer before is that your me- your name's mentioned a few times in the comments when people realize that you do the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether you see that and you said that makes you feel a bit vulnerable. Um, is that, I mean, is there like, uh, I guess the positive flip side of it is that you know that you already have an audience for whatever you put out or is that scary? Does that help the creativity or does it stifle it? Um, <clears throat> um i think there there's always a bit of uh internal you know monologue on oh, what are people going to think mm. and I, I don't think that goes away i think it does get you know a little bit bit more prominent once you've got something out there that's doing fairly well but right um uh i don't know it's yeah, it's something you just keep got to keep having to do your thing. I think, like, no matter what you're making, um, if you've got something you feel really passionate about initially, you got to just not. So it's it's important to be a world of what uh, aware of what's going on in the world around you, but you've you've got to find a way to just uh, like sit back down, eyes on the <laughs> prize. Yeah, just just do your thing and just make it as best you can. And the thing is that um, great work doesn't result from, um, I guess, waiting for inspiration. You just got to keep, mm. keep doing it. So, and similarly, um, great inspiration. Even though I said we got a lot of inspiration from the attention, that you know, that lasts for a little while. So we've got to keep keep going at it regardless. Um, now that's very interesting because that's yeah. it's one of the things that um, I know a lot of musicians, a lot of artists struggle with. You know, if they don't have the attention, then they go, oh, well, if I had the fans, then, you know, I would feel on top of the world. But then artists that do have yep. it, they go, well, now I have this feeling of expectation and I can't yeah, do, yeah. I can't experiment, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, but some of the most helpful advice I've heard, not that I'm the best at it, but um, some of the most helpful advice I heard is that kind of almost setting that boundary of where your job lies. Mm. It's like my job yeah. is just to make yep. the music how I yep. can make it. And whatever happens out there in the world to it, that's that's not under my control. So, I was about to say you can't manage expectations, but I think as a as the role of all of us on ma- either making games or as artists, we are in a way managing. Uh, we're managing some sort of experience mm-hmm. of what they're playing. So, um, to an extent, we can manage. Mm-hmm. Uh, manage is a bad word, though. It's like something, there's something to manage. There's something about micromanagement that what you, is attached to that that I don't like. But you it's, use it's the about, word manipulate. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> we're trying to tell a story, yeah. And you know, we want we want people to like maybe a character we're putting in that story. Mm. Um, maybe that's a way to put it. What's a what's a style of game <clears throat> you haven't worked on, but you're like, I have to do that at some stage, like you know, like a. A certain jumping castle game, for example. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, it's like, yeah, any uh, game. Uh, I'd love to work on a big 
open world RPG, but who doesn't? Yeah. It, it, those 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 things are really inspiring. So like games like the Elder Scrolls games or um, uh, Horizon and uh, um, the the open world Assassin's Creed games and all that. Um, I think I, I'm interested in um, how they evoke a sense of space, but also like. Um, uh, they're just really inspiring, I suppose. Mm. So. It's like these cinematic give you room to tell a story with the audio. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And um, evoking big, wide open spaces. And maybe this comes down to the fact that I'm inspired by Lord of the Rings. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Howard Shaw's score. Yeah, sure. Um, um, another question is like, so, you know, in the... I don't really participate much in the AGD audio Discord channel, John. You got that pretty well covered. I'm looking at you, Alex. <laughs> I'll pull you in. <laughs> I did. I did the occasional thumbs up or something. Um, but I would imagine a lot who are in there um, are game developers first, and then they pick up an interest in um, in music. Is it like I don't know what what kind of advice would you give to someone who's um, let's say, well, there's, there's two examples as yourself where you're, you're classically trained and, um, you know, maybe you never would have thought going games being digital, maybe that's not, that wouldn't have been a path for me. And then the other side, which is, you know, I'm a programmer, I'm not musically inclined, but now this technology is accessible where you can just do it on your computer. Uh, what kind of advice would you give to those, like to develop their stuff? So- so for yeah for for people who are looking to get into it from other fields is that yeah from other fields and and yeah so for two groups from other fields and then from a like a classical background like yourself yeah um uh I think you really have to just practice treat the um uh, um you have to d- discover like I guess what you want to achieve with what music you want to compose and write and uh really focus on um maybe some of the elements that aren't always obvious from all the people who are doing uh how to do this videos on on youtube Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of um inspiration that can be got from and, and this is actually really great don't get me wrong i think uh online communities youtube discord i think there's a lot of really um exciting and positive information for people who are aspiring artists and, and whatnot but i think there's also um maybe i'm just coming from the, the classical sort of academic kind of background where you have to um uh learn harmony and learn um counterpoint and all these sort of things but i think there's something something about the the old school stuff old art forms so like just just learning how harmony works in a in context of music um and <clears throat> yeah i guess look into that as well mm. i don't know if that it's is it really more, answers the question um, would you say because those old school techniques they're more uh, uh, applicable across a wider uh set of situations Whereas a lot of these YouTube videos are very specific, like here's how you create a drum and bass drop. Mm. Actually, maybe I just I just thought of an analogy. Maybe like if you wanted, and Alex, maybe this is something that you can correct me on. But if you want to animate someone running in like a, a pixel art sprite of someone running, 
do you just dive straight into pixel art and just try to draw someone running or do you like try to actually think about the actual movement of someone running as opposed to i don't know if this is a good analogy please correct no, me no, if no, I'm no. Wrong. that's that's uh, good like and like the 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 theory behind like the that and how and that, that works kind of stuff yeah 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 definitely definitely that one um pixel art because you've got such limited form to work in i get very worried about looking up any kind of tutorial because you know our little character if, if this episode will be animated we're all roughly i don't know it's like 20 something pixels high so there's not a lot of wiggle room so if i'm looking up a video on how they do something um i'd be i'd get super worried that it's just going to start looking like um there's so um yeah more anatomy like more i look at um animation keyframe poses uh even then you're still you you'll uh, which I guess is okay. It's art. You kind of pick up the influence of whoever designed it, um, which is, I guess, a, a, a risk because, you know, if you're at a vulnerable state where you need to look up poses for reference, you'll get influenced by anything. You might get influenced by the wrong art. Um, and I had a walk cycle for the pixel animation people and it was it was right anatomically, but it looks gross. So I just made them pop in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. But um, yeah. Well, maybe it's a process of like figuring out what you don't want to do. Mm. And <clears throat> sometimes that's from studying. In my case, it might be from, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Like uh, listening to, I don't know, Debussy and Pendulum or whatever, and then trying to recreate the works that they've done and then realized... I'm not either of those things, but at least I, you know, I tried to do drum and bass when I was in my early twenties and I kind of sucked at it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, it definitely helps with the, um, it's, it's a constant trial and error with anything, I guess. Yeah. And I think, I think we said about, you know, figuring out what they did. But John's, John's drum and bass is really good. You should check out his new <laughs> <Yeah>. album. <laughs> oh, definitely. For the record, it's cause I'm in my late twenties. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in my early 20s, there. I was definitely not any good. Uh, <laughs> but you stuck at it, unlike me. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's still, don't, don't listen to mine next to Pendulum. Listen to mine in a space separate from anything else so you've got nothing to compare it to. So, oh, mate. But, well, we were, talking, we were talking about like being like, um, influenced by references and whatnot before, and I think it's important to find your own, well, your own strengths and whatnot. So. Mm. Yeah. yeah, John's found some strengths, I think. Definitely. With that. Well, but it's it's a really good point because, um, and Chris, I really want to hear your kind of thoughts on this. Um, the idea that, like you said, you tried to make drum and bass and you say it sucked. I haven't heard it. Possibly it was very cool in its own Chris way, like with your your background and your experience. <laughs> no, Chris, Chris is shaking his head. Never mind. <laughs> um, but... So there's the thought that each artist, each musician, each creator brings their own experience, their own style to whatever it is they're creating and that to a certain extent they have to accept that um, or rage against it. Uh, but also the thoughts that uh, your process and the tools you use also change what comes out the other side. Mm. I was just wondering what's your experience with those two areas? Um, so... Uh, what, what was the so, exact two areas? So, no, that's right. I, I was like, I, yes, I agree. I, 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 wasn't sure I, was I like, cast a very wide sorry. net there. Um, all right, let's let's start with tools. All right, so you you mainly use computer. You mainly use digital samples of uh, inst but like samples of recorded instruments. Yep. Yep. 
Um, you yeah. also use, uh, you've told me you use a modular synth. You've got a Eurorack, I think. Yes. Um, yep. And you've got maybe some other synths there. Um, do, do you find that because you choose to use those things, how, I mean, can you, can you hear the effects that has on the final composition? Does that kind of shoe your, shoehorn you into certain choices? Yeah, I think um, definitely does. Choices of um, limitation of technology, especially, uh, can inform the the resultant like piece of music. Um, sometimes the limitations can be decided on. So I'm only going to use this one thing, um, and I'm going to make a, a piece of music out of it. So. Uh, uh, I'm reaching back to something ages ago, but I made a piece of music out of, like, I think it was three samples of a kalimba uh, or a thumb piano, and the whole track was just the that. So just constantly manipulating and changing and wait, as um, in every single and it, and instrument it, in the track was from that kalimba sound. Yeah, how <laughs> far? Yeah, so it, it um took ages, but it um it gave the the piece a certain color. Um, and I remember, I remember remembering that that went well. So like when I was on Hollow Knight, I um, tried to do a similar thing with. You, you said let's I'm do the whole thing to, with kalimba. No, I did uh, get guitar harmonics. Oh, um, sweet. And it was in Crystal Peak. Yeah, it's Crystal Peak. Almost forgot the name of the track. Um, but yeah, uh, and just manipulating. If you choose a limitation in in um, the technology can give it a certain interesting color mm. um much like limiting the visual palette i guess um sometimes imagine as well if you if you're approaching instruments from a electronic point like a real life instrument but it's an electronic there's a there's things you can do on it you couldn't do in the real one like yeah i always have that problem. yeah <laughs> like if i'm trying to get someone to play something i wrote it always comes out different but i'm getting better at um learning different instruments um and uh being being better at prescribing yeah what what it might sound like later um because um like uh like i, I play the but you can oh sorry i was just gonna say but you can do crazy crap with digital in, in like sounds and that's the thing and get away with it and everyone is um there's all sorts of like uh stuff on on the the internet and on video game soundtracks and it's actually not a bad thing if you if you hear like string arpeggios that are not easy to play but yeah um i don't know i yeah, yeah. you no, no 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 that's, that's good because yeah, i find that when like you know i'm years ago when i was like uh attempting to write sheet music through a program of just like playing with notes and stuff and the chords it would spit out right like she sharp augmented diminished with a something and like or like um like something i play is the harmonica and um something i've noticed is like once you start playing it you start when you hear other people play it you hear the breathes in and the breathes out because that just changes by um pitch like you have to it's a stupid instrument because you have to <laughs> buy like 12 of them to be able to play like you spend 50 bucks on a harmonica and you can play one song because it has to be that key. Um, yeah. But because yeah. they all transpose, you know what a breathe in 
uh, note sounds like going to breathe out. So I imagine if you don't have that experience and you're writing a track for harmonica, you and someone who does know harmonica listens to it, it sounds like they're just <laughs> like constantly breathing in while they're playing it. But yeah. th- that would be impossible yeah. in the real world. So that's where the advent of technology makes it better. Yeah, I've definitely been um, uh, guilty of doing that with probably a bunch of harmonica samples <laughs> on the computer before. Yeah, it's just const- it's right. constant As like, melody line. <laughs> yeah. No, no chords at all, just a melody. Yeah, well, it's all right. We we can write and a piece together keys. for Alex after this um, for, for the bakery again. Yeah. <laughs> Legit. Oh my god. And if it makes you feel better, Chris, I have heard that same story a lot of times with people writing for orchestra. And it's the first time they've done it, and they've done it in you know a MIDI MIDI software, Sibelius or or you know FL Studio or whatever, and then they just yep. print it and give it to the orchestra, and it's everyone there kind of just sighs because they can apparently they can tell when it's been done <laughs> <laughs> on a computer because the person yep. just doesn't have that knowledge about you know real playing and breaks and all that. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's like uh, yeah. it's like old school Italians getting annoyed at pizza. It's like. <laughs> You had the recipe for over a hundred years and it took Domino's five minutes to figure out cheese in the crust. All right. We'll take it from here, Domino's. Is Italy. Yep. Yep. So I just yeah, full I on ruined that flow with the pizza. No, no I, I wanted to hear more think... about the pizza. <laughs> 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 oh. it, costs, it, costs, it takes a while for me to catch up. <laughs> oh, Chris. So would you say piano then, speaking of playing instruments, do you still play piano much? No, no, not enough. Actually, not enough. Um, uh, I'd like to. I think there's some. There's, I, I think there's a interesting exploration of possibilities from learning other people's music, and it's sort of stopped. So I've got no excuse. I need to get back into it. Um, um, well, if it helps, you yeah. can. But I, listen, I listen to this podcast pref- every morning and remind yourself. <laughs> yeah, I might have to do that. <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say? But I, I don't perform. I've never been much of a performer. Um, <clears throat> I'm very much like uh, I enjoy being behind the scenes. I enjoy writing the script, as it were, and then like yeah, uh, yeah getting other musicians to perform yeah. if possible, <laughs> if available. I guess there's something I've heard about uh, when you deal with live musicians, and particularly when you find ones that you like, that you actually end up writing things that you know that they like playing or mm. in styles they play have, have you found that at all yeah but I, I think it extends to you find what they do really well so you when you go back to them later you in your composition process you're kind of writing for that person mm. and you know they'll pull that off well so I've yeah I've kind of done a bit of that um um, r- random one um, my limited experience uh, in, a sh- in any kind of studio because um, you're talking about working with real musicians um, do you do you notice a difference between digital and analog recording like as in like actually record I know they don't they barely do that anymore like record onto any kind of tape but I'm going to guess with everyone not recording onto tape that it if there is a difference it's negligible in the grand scheme of things um, I think there's just been such uh, it's so many developments in digital uh, conversion to so analog to digital conversion and mic preamps and all sorts of stuff that 
things that are recorded digitally on really high fidelity devices um, get so pristine and there's such a wide dynamic range that you hear something recorded on maybe more vintage gear or analog gear and I think there is a, a difference. Where it gets tricky is when they introduce means of emulating that more vintage gear on the digital yeah. computers that are producing the music. So, um, and they've got it to such an extent that it's almost impossible to tell. Um, I think that's where I, maybe the, it's more about the process. So you might find an engineer who has this one piece of hardware that they've been using for 20 or 30 years and it's this really old tape recorder or something. <laughs> I don't know. But like it's, it's that it's that human being and the way they use that uh, old, you yeah. know, stuff and the process that they go through that makes it different from maybe me downloading a plugin that I found on Saturday and playing around with saturation effects or something with a mouse. Yeah. Like it could produce technically the same sound but maybe it doesn't because my process is different too you so know, the, is it persons. like their output is actually different because they're almost like uh composing to the to the limit or not maybe not limitations but to the style that is that how that piece of equipment influences the the piece yeah i think so i've had very like in terms of um uh, studio experience with other engineers and stuff my experience is somewhat limited I've always been a bit indie with my approach so like trying to just record stuff myself inviting someone over or whatnot but um, I did a project once where I had to record some drums at a, at a studio in Adelaide um, and the engineer's name was Gabriel Agostino and um, he did all all the mic preamplification and compression on the way into the um, into the desk and into Pro Tools. So in other words, setting up the sound of, and maybe this is a common thing and uh, I don't know, I'm just, just too, too young to have gone through or maybe just focusing too much on sample libraries and whatnot that I haven't experienced it. But I found it fascinating to watch him go through the process of like tuning the, the, um, the compressors and whatnot to the individual instruments and the drums oh, wow. and, and everything before it gets recorded to Pro Tools. Um, and it was just his process, and it was quite um, uh, ritualistic about it. He was patching things in one by one and, like, standing up, walking over, having a listen, and going back and changing the EQ. And I thought that was a cool process. And from someone who's come from maybe the generation of making stuff on laptops and starting with FL Studio as well, John, mm. um, like, we don't haven't really seen that um, process of working before so with the analog stuff I think that's maybe the mm. one of the key things that's just one engineer that my one experience um, yeah it's it, all sorts yeah, it was even it was fascinating because I, I watched um, the the Beatles documentary the get back and just how long oh, yeah, some of it good. sometimes like they were just setting up and configuring things they're just sitting yeah. there doing, like just playing you know whatever and so you're and the limited number of tracks yeah. on the desk yeah. and they had to um render it all to yeah. one track yeah would about bounce or, or yeah tape it all to one track and then add more open up more uh, faders that way which makes it really interesting it, it, but that that whole just yeah. uh, i think they call it destructive uh creation where you do that kind of thing where you make choices that you can't go back on i've, mm. I've heard some people mm. say that's actually really helpful for them 
Um, yeah. Pers- pers- you, you can personally, emu- not me, but some people. <laughs> you can emulate that with, uh, yeah, with heart. Um, sorry, in software land as well. Mm. Um, but it takes a bit of commitment and. That's a, yeah. You could try something like not push the control Z or yeah. Apple Z or whatever. Just put tape over it. Yeah. No, it definitely helped. Like um, even in Photoshop, like like the, the equivalent of that, like the non-destructive process, you know, working on a separate layer every time. Mm-hmm. And then you just, mm-hmm. a lot of art teachers will just say, collapse your layers, make them one, like commit to it. Commit, you coward. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We've got a very similar process in uh door audio at least in sound design for me um i'm often rendering a whole bunch of layers to mm-hmm. can i screen share on this thing yeah yeah, yeah. you can I do whatever I can, you want i think i can get away <laughs> with not displaying any spoilers that's all right we uh, we are not actually showing the video of this oh you're not showing the nah, video this oh, will okay. just oh we've we've got echo. this thing first which is <laughs> <laughs> um Anyway, I was just going to quickly show you. Can you still see? Yeah, yeah so what, uh, just for our audience, uh, Chris, what door are you using at the moment? Well, for your audience, using, what's a door? Yeah, what's <laughs> a door? Oh, okay, so it's a digital audio work session. Digital or? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, digital audio Music work session. Music making software. So, cool. Yeah. So Cubase Pro Tools, um, to an extent GarageBand, even like, or would Audacity count? If you're making music in it, technically. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe uh, maybe <laughs> some sort of element of MIDI sequencing has to be in there, which Audacity doesn't. Anyway, well, we've just lost our Audacity sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I, I used it recently. I, I do it. It does. Yeah, I kind of like it. It's all good. Especially, but, especially Paul Stretch. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Uh, but you're, you're using Cubase here, is it? Yes. Um, this is, whoops. Uh, yeah, so I, I was just showing you. So this is like the sound design, and I don't even know what the sound is. Actually, it's probably not even going to... No, we can, yeah, kinda, you probably sorry, didn't hear that. No, nah, I didn't. But, but um, if you just want to um, make it with your mouth now... <laughs> we can... <laughs> wow, that's crazy. It's like I'm there. Um, <laughs> so these are like layers in Photoshop. So I'm, I'm grabbing different elements. There might be a slightly basier element here um and then i realized i need something wider and then um uh the process i've got for sound design which hasn't always been this way but something i've embodied or taken on i guess is um just uh this sort of destructive process where you can add plugins to a a um a clip on the um um, timeline so find a, an element or an, or a layer and then just add a a uh, process so like I'm gonna add some more reverb and then click apply and that destructively renders it to that layer mm. um, but it's sort of non-destructive in the sense that you can go back in time and like I want to readjust this here but anyway the the other i guess equivalent of layer uh, collapsing your layers is to render all of uh, all of these down to one um and in some cases sometimes not all the time but i might just delete those previous ones so there you go now we've got our collapse thing um, is that a, okay anyway i have to say just seeing how quickly you rendered like seven layers to one i'm now thinking of switching to cubase <laughs> <laughs> oh it i think 
Um, what do you use? I'm using Ableton Live at the moment. Um, there may be a way oh, to okay. do it, but uh, currently I can do the freeze tracks thing, which is kind of the half committed approach where you, you render it to a WAV file and you can't change any of those knobs again. But then if you really panic, you can unfreeze it and it just goes back to normal. But yeah. Um, Reaper's another one. So Cubase is good. Uh, Reaper can also do a lot of these these things and a few audio um, game audio friends swear by it. Mm. Um, but uh, the other reason it happened quickly is just because I've added keyboard shortcuts to um, things I do a lot. Mm. So Right. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Think. Without audio, there's not much to show here, so I'll, I'll probably stop sharing at this point. But... Um, yeah, no, that, that's all good. Layering. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we, we were talking the other day, Chris, about um, how much time gets spent actually trying to make a more efficient workflow and is it more time than actually just doing the work? <laughs> um, <laughs> do, you, do you spend a lot of time can, doing it? It can be. It can be. Um, I made a, an equalizer on my touchscreen. This was ages ago, but I remember this taking me forever. I don't know if you can see oh, it. Wow. Yeah, oh. right. So that's that's a touch equalizer on Touch OSC, and I never use it. <laughs> I think I spent two days or three days on it. Um, and that plug, but, but you but keep it there. There anyway. are there are other things. So like these uh, these buttons here on the left. This is a different page. They if I tap one of them, it'll open up a. Um, uh, my sound browser and it, it ready to be typed a search thingo in so like some macros and whatnot oh, what? is happens there is that a common thing um, for for the for the musos to have a touchpad with all these hotkeys i've never seen an artist do that right yeah i think it's more common for well film composers have a lot of touchscreen things and um i think uh a lot of the um oh, Zimmer's composers, uh, Remote Control Studios composers, they in, like have interviews and like they show this touchscreen thing, and um, and also I guess watching people online, you see how they've uh, figured out a way to put I guess macros and keyboard shortcuts because after a while you run out of keys, mm. um, and the next step is I guess to expand onto onto a screen, so. Um, yeah. What program is that that you're using for the touchscreen? I'm using uh, Touch OSC. Okay. It's a uh, yeah, it's a program. I've been. It's in its second like version or iteration now, Touch OSC. But they've been around for over ten years, and um, that's awesome. Yeah, um, it sends either MIDI data or um, Open Sound Control. Sorry, that's what uh, OSC stands for, by the way. Um, I don't know if OSC is actually used in game development much, but um, there's there's all sorts of protocols. I know MIDI can be used with, for developing games and whatnot. Um, I've just started getting into pure data, which receives OSC, and then I'm converting that to MIDI to get into Cubase. Oh, wow. Anyway, I'm just... I'm just no, no, that's good. So, so, so what you're saying is getting more and more technical. That, you're saying if game developers aren't currently using these touchscreen technology they should uh i'm not sure actually (laughs) (laughs) making bold claims it can be a time it can be a time sink and as you said john you can spend like way more time developing the the thing that you're trying to use to make the sound instead of making Mm. the actual sound yeah Yeah. having said that okay i was i was saying that but having said that i don't know if i've ever actually regretted spending the time on these things 
because generally you do learn, you know, a quick way to do things. It's it's only if you keep doing the same thing over and over. Sorry? Oh, it's like the process of sharpening your tools. Yeah. 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 I'm definitely going to look at that. Workmen sharpening their tools. Yeah. I want to find some... So can you make a button that's like the auto drop? So when when you're doing your dubstep song, you just press one of these buttons (laughs) and it automatically puts in your uh, LFO saw wave and then (laughs) wubs it. <laughs> yep. Actually, that's a good idea. I might. Um, I was thinking of making an inspiration button. So if I get stuck, <laughs> it just <laughs> brings up like the latest top meme on Reddit or something. <laughs> or like um, Brian Eno's um, oblique strategies. Oh, Brian Eno. And <laughs> Brian Eno's um, crazy. I don't know. He's uh, he's been gone for a long time. <laughs> And, and he, mm. he's one of those people that just keeps making stuff as well. He's an absolute <laughs> machine. He's no, no Bruce Springsteen, though. I've got to say that. Uh, look, I mean, he's past his glory days, if I can name drop one of his songs. <laughs> but yeah, that was awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and, and showing us through your process and talking about holding up the billionth time, I'm sure. And <laughs> That's all right. It was good to, good to chat with you guys. Yeah. Um, um, where can uh, where can people contact you? Where can they hear what you're working on and the stuff they're allowed to hear what you're working on? And <laughs> yeah, well, um, I I haven't been fairly active on Twitter lately, but um, I've got a Twitter page, uh, Composer Larkin or Christopher Larkin on Twitter. Um, my website's composerlarkin.com. Um, and looking forward to sharing more music with with everyone and, and the world. So. Cool. Yeah, yep. very cool. Awesome. All right, everyone. So yeah, sorry. Cool. Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> what's the attraction, and why should I listen? Oh, to more Bruce okay. Yes, here we go. Here's the definitive answer. Alex, take it away. All right. Do not. Okay, just pretend "Born in the USA" doesn't exist. It's a great album, but that is not who Springsteen is. Uh, I think we. Yeah, it depends what kind of. Okay, you got to listen to the first three albums. All right, first three. Okay. I'm taking cool. notes. So we're talking Greetings from Asbury Park, Wild the Innocent and the East Street Shuffle. Okay, you have... Oh, my God. <laughs> you have to listen to the Wild the Innocent and the East Street Shuffle, but you have to listen to it in order because it's worth it because you will appreciate as a piano player, David Sanchez, the piano player he had, they were... This is 1973. They're doing orchestra on a keyboard. I thought it was an actual orchestra, but it's not. It's just sampling um, with classical trained piano. The song's New York City Serenade. It's, I think, his greatest song of all time. All his live versions, he just lets the piano player riff. That piano player left a few years later. So that, and then you go to Born to Run, um, which was the one that catapulted him. That's 75. And then, look, you can keep going if you want. Uh, After Darkness on the Edge of Town, the next one, they kind of start teetering off, but you got to do the first three. And the most important (laughs) of the three is the second. got to listen to Wild, the Innocent, the E Street Shuffle. Nice. I will. So, I made a note. Do, do you have to do them in order? You have to do one, two, three? Uh, no. Well, or, I mean, or do you start with number two? One is very different. One is basically Bob Dylan. Like, that's what he got compared to. So it's more jazzy. Okay. It's a lot heavy on the poetry. The music's good, but the second one is what he wanted to make. So it's more barroom mixed with classical, with jazz, um, uh, you know, saxophone. And then three goes into rock, and then that he starts progressing more in rock. But second, the second album, the second, yeah. 
for everyone. That's the second album. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my god, you, you got to buy the rights from Sony now. He just sold all his music for half a billion dollars to Sony. Half oh, a billion wow. US. Oh man, they're just acquiring everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Watch out, Chris. <laughs> I'll keep my arm. <laughs> all awesome. right. Thank you very awesome. much Thank for joining you, us, Chris. Thanks. No worries. Good to see you all. Thank you.